This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. We're going to talk about God encounters and or encountering God. I think for all of us, we um, sometimes we grow into a place where we almost become familiar with the things of God and it's so easy just to go through the motions. Isn't it like that in all of our relationships? Uh, you sort of sometimes have to define or redefine your relationships, you know, especially when you get married one day. Uh, I want to talk especially to the guys. Don't just think like uh, you can assume anything, okay? Peter, Ian, the Dachbrick guys, don't just like, you know, once you get married, Dachbrick moves down on the food chain, Okay. That lady, okay, and we don't know, you know, you know, she's up there, Ian, but we know, you know, she will come down to the land of flowing with milk and honey here in the Western Cape, but hallelujah. So <clears throat> the challenge for us is don't just assume things, and it's so easy just to go through the motions as a Christian. We sort of like almost become unbelieving believers. Our expectation uh, begins to either drop or we get challenged and we've been speaking in the morning services about the two guys that was walking on the road to Emmaus on their way after Jesus got crucified and uh, they didn't even recognize Jesus because of the hopelessness that they were in. The circumstances of actually not you know, making it and all their hopes were gone. They thought Jesus was going to rule over the Roman Empire because they were slaves to that empire. And so um, then suddenly Jesus comes and he shows himself them through the scriptures who he was. And when he broke the bread, their eyes opened up. And uh, it's, it's like this, you know, this coming, this past week, I don't know, how many of you have gone for a traffic department eye test? Raise your hand in the last year or two, Okay. So raise it very high, okay? You'll, you'll be able to recognize and, and much more relate to this. But so on, on Thursday, I had to go for a public driver's permit. So I'm going into Somerset West because apparently the queues are shorter there, but it's rainy. It's like a storm going. Everything is like going crazy. The people are running in out. Now I've got glasses, so everything gets dirty in the process. And so I'm sitting there. Finally, without preparing my spiritual expectation for the eye test, I go to sit right in front and this lady says, okay, look into this little thing. And then it's amazing. It shows you like this E, you know, have you seen that E? And then you have this little thing. It almost feels like a remote control, but you have to say which side it goes to, you know? So when the, the three points of the E points up, you just like push it that way and you push it that way, whatever side it shows to. So here I'm going and I'm thinking like, this is a breeze. And um, I go like, boop, 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 boop. And then it shows the sides, the lights on the sides. And you just have to like a goof. And at a stage, I see two lights. And I think like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I should have probably cleansed my glasses, cleaned my glasses before the time. Um, so finally, the eye test is finished. I'm expecting to walk out here. And the lady says to me, oh, sir, regrettably, you have failed your eye test. Now I'm sitting there and thinking like, what? <laughs> I've never failed the eye test before. Um, so I said, um, maybe we can try again, you know? And the lady says, okay, okay. Relax your eyes. Relax your eyes. 
stare at the roof, and let's try again, you know? So here we go again. We go through the whole process. And um, she says, uh, sir, regrettably, you have failed your eye test again, you know? So, so now I'm sitting, I'm thinking like, this is embarrassing. I have my glasses on. They're very dirty. But I can't, you know? And so now we're going for the third round. Now I'm beginning to pray in the spirit. Really, honestly. You know, so I'm shundying, shundying, and I'm just trying to think like what side. And so every E, it all looks the same, especially the, the first three or four are quite nice. But after the fifth one, you have no clue, you know. So now I'm like, whoops. And I think like if it was that side, it must be. Some of you have done multiple choice at school, okay. Okay, some of you just choose the D or the C. You think like, okay, which one is the best? You go like C, 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 C. Apparently C is mathematically the best one to choose, Okay. So you just stick with one. I didn't stick with one. I went right, left, up, down, up, down, down, you know? And then that moment when the eye test is finished again, and she says, oh, sir, there must be something wrong with our system, but you passed the third time. I'm thinking like, hallelujah. <laughs> you know? Lord, I just made it. Hallelujah. So anyone wants to drive with me? I hope. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But why am I saying that? Because sometimes we think we see God... But because of the distractions in our lives, because of things around us, we actually miss God. You know, so from the word go, God promised the disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, but you shall receive power. The word power is the word dunamus, dynamite, the same word, root word, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he sends these couple of disciples that were so confused to this upper room, and something changed. The church wasn't birthed. It was sort of launched or commissioned when the Holy Spirit came upon them. But for the first time, they could see, you know. There were some Thomases around that wanted to put their uh, fingers in the sides of Jesus. I've told this story before. Once we were, when we still had church in the Bloomer Hall, uh, one day I was very stressed um, waking up and pastors can stress sometimes, okay? I'm just confessing just between the two of us. And um, so I was quite stressed, but now I must go and preach. I'm thinking like, wow, you know, what on earth? You know, let's just go for it and preach and be positive and be an encourager and go for it. And so I'm standing there in the worship and a little nine-year-old boy, eight, nine years old, comes to me and he walks up to me and he taps me on the side here and he says, Pastor, Pastor, the Lord told me I must come to you and ask you, why are you stressing like that? <laughs> I'm thinking like, ooh. And, um, and so he says, uh, because when I came in, somebody greeted me at the door when I came in. And when I looked down, I realized that he's got bare foot, feet, bare feet. But his feet had holes in it. Did I say bare foot? Okay, bare feet. But his feet had holes in it, and when I looked up, he had holes in his hands. So why are you stressing when Jesus is here to greet his own people? He turned around and he walked away. I fell on the ground. I wept. I ministered living waters. Because I realized, like, sometimes God is there, but we don't see him because of the wrong glasses, the wrong promises, the wrong things. And so we're going to look at two encounters that Jesus had with ladies. I love ladies. I've got three ladies in my life and one guy, okay, three children and one, one wife, one wife, 
for over 20 years. Hallelujah. It's amazing. And so Jesus had these encounters, but it's amazing how the ladies were always much more sensitive. Because ladies have been made in that way to be more relationally inclined. Men are sometimes like task orientated. So we want the bottom line. We want to go there. We want to go achieve and be adventurous. But ladies are very sensitive. They like the, the people that can connect. And so one of these ladies we find in John chapter 4. It's one of probably the most profound story in the scripture of Jesus going out of the normal zone. And so we're going to read the story, verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go. Jesus purpose to go through Samaria. And he was a Jew, the Samaritans. You didn't even speak to the, Jew, to the Samaritans. That's why this uh, story of the Good Samaritan is such a challenge to the Jews even to today. Because they didn't mix. The Samaritans were sort of almost a mixed race. They were sort of the half-breeds of the religious race. They had their own temple. They had their own way of worship. But the Jews didn't mix with them at all. And especially a guy never spoke or especially a rabbi, never spoke to a lady in public. And they actually had this uh, sort of theme of the, the bleeding rabbis because they actually had to close their eyes, and many times they walked into walls or, you know, hurt themselves when they would see a lady. And so this story is very profound because Jesus goes and he says I, he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And then the woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, asked a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, If you knew. So here's this woman, she's coming alone. Normally women would come in a group to a well to draw water. And this was far away from the normal area. So you can almost see through the story that this woman was a bit of an outcast. Because she came alone. And so, yes, she has this encounter with Jesus, and he's sitting there without a water pot. She has a water pot. She says, like, whoa, what's going on here? Why do you even speak to me? You're a Jew. The woman said to him, verse 11, Sir, you deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, speaking of the natural water, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So Jesus is speaking about spiritual things. She's still on a natural thing. She says, he says, if you knew who asked you, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who's standing here and speaking to you, you would have asked for living waters. But this living waters will do two things. The first thing that it will do, it will quench your thirst, but you will never thirst again. And the second thing is that water will become in you a fountain, say a fountain that springs up into everlasting life. 
So that water will do two things. It won't just quench your thirst, your spiritual, your emotional thirst, but it will do something inside of you. It will become a fountain. And what is the what does a fountain do? It brings out water so that others come to drink from that water. It's a beautiful picture, but it's so true. My question, my first question to us tonight is, what are you drinking of the world that is fulfilling you? It's a quick fix, but it's not satisfying you. What are the practical things in your life you think like, oh, I run to that thing. That thing gives me sort of a sense of comfort. Maybe it's your eating patterns. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's people in your life. You always run to that. You always run to acceptance. You always run to belonging. You always, because you are thirsty. Now, all of us have a need for belonging. All of us have a need for identity. We all have a need of purpose in our lives. Every human creature. You want to belong somewhere, you want to know who you are, and you want to know why you are here. If you're going to look to the world for those things, it will never satisfy you. You can become the best CEO of the biggest company with the biggest money, it will never satisfy you. If you find those things in the things that you do. I remember one day we went, and um, I have to be very honest, we sort of like got invited by this super rich people. They lived in a mansion. So we, they said, come and braai with us, you know. And so we and two other couples, we went there, dressed up nicely. And I said to my wife, I said, Louise, please, we're not going to eat anything. Huh? That buffet, have you ever gone and you know that you're going to eat a buffet, lunch or dinner? You starve yourself. Come on, guys. Raise your hand if you have done that. You know, we all do that. You, you realize, like, there's a dinner coming. I'm not going to eat anything. I'm going to stuff this mouth until I can't get anything down anymore, and then at least another three quarters of a chicken go down, okay? That's just a joke. It's just a joke. But we all do that. You know, we think, like, I'm going to save our cause. You're like, so here we go to the prime. Then someone said, waist up on the hills, like super rich. You have to drive through five security estates to get up there. And so here we get to the braai, and we like four couples. I'm hungry. I starved the whole day. Didn't eat probably just like a little rusk in the morning, little like, you know, avocado bread in the afternoon, and here we are for the dinner. So we start the braai. And so this guy braais for us, this rich guy, and he's got two packets of Pick and pay, no name brand sausages. And I thought, like, that's a good starter, you know? <laughs> so um, the real, now I'm imagining this fillet, fillet imported from Italy, you know, courier down, you know, brought down with the nice sauces. That's, that's still coming, you know? So, so this guy's got two packets of vors, this thin vors, where when you chew, half of the stuff remains here between your teeth because it's like, Siemels, what is siemels? You know, these like samels, you know? There's like, um, like thick pieces of stuff that, you know, you takes three days to get out of your teeth. Have you eaten some of that voice? You don't know what it is, but you realize it, it is pig, but you don't know what part of the pig it is. It just gets stuck there somewhere, okay? So you, you realize like you have to work your piece, you have to work and, you know, and pray over this food. You, Lord, bless this food, whatever's going to happen here, you know? I bind everything that can kill me in there and I lose life over it, you know, when you start to pray. We pray that in, in India, but we prayed it in the Somerset West. Long story short, that was the only food of the evening. 
There was bread on the table. I just ate bread. You know? I was so disappointed. We came back. We drove past steers. And we had a proper meal. I was so shocked. It shocked me completely. My expectation was there. But I've never met so much stingy people in my life. I thought like, whoa, yeah? And then have you gone to a restaurant where you eat at the restaurant and they, you know, you springbok steak, 500 bucks, and then it's like this little piece, you know, find the steak and win a springbok, okay? He's just like, where's the steak, you know? It's got all these garnish, these green, do you know, the free state people know what garnish is, okay? Reblarkis, okay? It's like you have a sauce that's like zit over the plate and all, you know, and then a sauce all over it. But find the steak and win another one, you know. You think like, where is it? This big plate and this small piece of steak. You know, you think like, whoa. Why am I telling this story? Oh, I'm telling this story because that's what the world will give you. It will promise you all this massive stuff. You have this expectation and then when you get there, it's actually empty. And so this is what happened to this woman because this woman, and listen to this, she wants to get very religious with God. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw. So she's thinking about natural water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. So now Jesus gets a word of knowledge. I have no husband, Jesus said to her. You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one with whom you now have is not your own husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So now Jesus walks straight into her heart, and he says, Let's talk about that thirst that you have. That guy that you're with right now, the one that you're sleeping with, it's not your husband. So fifth one, let's address that thirst inside of your heart, that deep sense of you need affection, you need belonging, you need a touch from God. People can never give that to you. And so here this, this woman, she's so shocked that she immediately becomes religious. <laughs> Isn't that so what we do with God? Oh, but God. You know, when God speaks to you, you think like, oh, that's a good sermon to pity. I wish pity was here tonight, you know. <laughs> he really needs that, you know, because, hey, I'm a sort of, okay, self-righteousness leads to pride. And if you're proudful, Scripture says God resists you. It's the only people God resists. Did you know God's heart is open for all of us? The only ones he resists, whether you're Christian or not a Christian, doesn't matter is those who are full of pride. Pride is very ugly because you're not teachable. You think you have the answer. Pride is ugly and especially spiritual pride when we think we have arrived. When we think we've done it, been there, bought the t-shirt. We become familiar with God and the things of God. Wow. So this woman switches to the spiritual. She says, oh, I perceive that you're a prophet. She's sort of like, Oh, he just touched the place in her heart and she wants to run away. She's just like, oh, no, 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 no. Let's talk about all the spiritual thing. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. This is what Jesus said, but the hour is coming. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You cannot worship God in the way that you think you should worship Him. You must worship Him in the way that He receives. Would you agree? If you're going to um, give a lady a bunch of flowers one day, then don't buy her flowers that you like. Find out what type of flowers she likes or what type of chocolates. Ladies like all chocolates, okay? But there's some, you know, it's like 72.543% cacao, you know? That's it. Find out what is the 0.5234 and, and you're going to win naughty badges, okay? Lots of them. Find out why because you want to please the one that says, hey, this is acceptable to me. And so when you worship God, Jesus says, worship me in spirit and in truth. Suddenly you realize that worship is much more than just singing songs. Worship starts with a truth encounter. And you cannot have a truth encounter if you don't know the person of Jesus and if you don't become vulnerable to your inadequacy to worship him. You can never worship him because you think you know, but worship is just an expression. It's a response. So you cannot worship God without the Holy Spirit as well because he needs to help you to worship so that when you sit in front of the eye test, every time you come to worship, every time you come to read the word, you need to clean your glasses because you don't want the angel to say, oh, sir, regrettably, you have failed your eye test. Are you getting the point here? <laughs> worship God, which is acceptable to him. And Jesus said there's going to be another type of worship. It's people that worship me in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It is such a profound story because there's only three people that Jesus told that he was the Messiah. And this woman is one. Lots of people try to pressure him in telling them, but here because of this woman's brokenness and her allowing to come to that place of vulnerability with God, Jesus tells her. Because he says, I've got a dream. I have a dream to meet the Messiah, the real one, and he will tell me all things. I have a hope inside of me, an expectation that that Messiah will come. And Jesus says, you've just met him. I am he. Verse 27, and at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Jesus, are you not out of your mind? You're talking to a Samaritan woman. She's not married. She's in adultery. She's doing everything wrong. The disciples is like, Jesus, you missed the plot a bit here. You shouldn't speak to this girl. This is, this is not according to our rules. But nobody challenged him or asked him, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. It is crazy. This woman said to Jesus that the Messiah will tell me all things that I ever did. This conversation was probably two or three minutes long. She goes into the city and she tells them, I just met a man who told me all things that I ever did doesn't make sense. 
But an encounter with God himself exposes everything of your heart. When you meet with Jesus, it's the closer you get to him, the more vulnerable you get, but the more you want to get close. Why? Because it's not about the factual stuff he will give him. It's about the worship. It's about surrendering your heart. Because what you begin to do is you begin to drink of that water every time you spend time with him. Every time you get into the word, come closer, and Jesus gives you water. He says, you're not going to thirst again. It's such a beautiful picture, but it's exactly what happened to this woman. Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him to say, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Wow. They said, eat Jesus. And then Jesus goes on and he says, well, to do the will of my father is my daily food. That woman goes into the city, go and read the story. She comes out and the whole city comes. She says to them, hey, I, I met a man who told me all things that I ever did. Jesus looks up, his disciples are there. They come out and Jesus says, look unto the harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up laborers. Because the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. See, if you're going to give people a religious Jesus, their lives are not going to change. But if you're going to have an encounter with Jesus himself, then when you run back to that city, because that woman that was sleeping around with all these men, she had such an encounter with God that the people in the city realized she had an encounter with God that they became curious and said, we must go and check out what happened to this woman. She met somebody that told her all things that she ever did. Imagine a person from the street runs in here right now, and we all know him because he says, hey, give me 100 bucks. I give me 100 bucks every day, and you know this guy. And he runs in here and he says, come, church. There's a man around the corner here at the spire that told me all things that I ever did. How many of us will follow him? Probably zero. But if that man has changed so much, even physically, that we realize like something changed about him. I want to go and see. I also want of that living waters that she drank. The Bible actually says she left her water pot there. It was such an encounter with Jesus that she forgot why she came to the well. <laughs> she came for physical water but found spiritual water. My invitation, and I believe God's invitation to, to you is, when last did you come and drink from that water? How desperate are you for God? Did your neighbor and say, hey, why are you smiling like that? Okay, second story. We're going to pick up some speed now. My watch tells me move. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, we're in sync here. So the second story of another lady that encounters God, Mark 5.25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. So this lady for 12 years is in a bad state. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. Sometimes we miss the story a little bit because Jewish rabbis had a garment, but they, they had these little tussles at the bottom that represented the word of God. And so this woman goes down on her knees, and there's a lot of people there. 
She goes and she touches the hem of his garment. This woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. That means that she could not communicate to anybody. She was in isolation for 12 years. Just imagine, Peter, sitting in Dachbrek section 8 for 12 years. Whew! Huh? Will not work. It will be crazy. This lady, according to Leviticus, the book of Leviticus, not the prophet Leviticus, okay? If you had the flow of blood and you were not healed, you were not allowed to speak to people publicly and especially not touch them. So for 12 years, she's not touched a person. If they found out that she touched a person, it was like a serious crime in the Jewish culture. So when you came out actually to maybe go and do shopping or buy food, you actually had to shout the following, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, and then everybody gave way for you to walk wherever you wanted. So you never touched somebody. So here's a woman that is desperate. She hears Jesus is coming around, and she puts all of her faith, all of her hope in him. If only I touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Isn't that amazing? She presses through all the distractions, all the stuff, all the things, and she touches Jesus. And the moment when she touched him, and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples again. Always clueless. You see the multitude, Jesus, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She realized, like, wow. So she's really trembling because of what the people are going to do to her. She tells the whole truth, spirit and truth. I touched you. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. It's such simple stories, but the first time she touched him, she got physically healed. The second time after he spoke to her, she got spiritually healed of her affliction. Can you see there's two healings there, not just one. The first time, her blood dried up immediately. The second time, her affliction was gone. Her torment, her shame was gone. Isn't that amazing about Christ? When you and I touch him. And so this woman that was so desperate, so hungry, and my question, my second question to you tonight is, how hungry are you for God? No, 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 I like just jumping up and down. I want Jesus to be my little this or my little that or my little beanie, you know. Just Jesus, come and bless me in what I'm doing. But when you're desperate enough for him, you will press through the crowds. When you're hungry enough, and there's some people here tonight that God wants to touch in that way. I love what some of the other translations says. This one says, the New King James says, power flowed from out of Jesus. But some of the other translations, the New American Standard says, virtue flowed out of him. Life. Not just healing, not just power, but life. So he removes the shame, he removes the rejection, he removes the stuff in their lives. And you think like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I just want him to bless me with my exams. You know, I'm writing three times this week and please preach short, you know, because I, 
But maybe that's the area where you want him to touch you, where you need, because you're trying to take control. And so one of some of the things that we can read from these stories is, the second lady is, are you desperate enough? Are you hungry enough? Are you really aware of your own need and your own weakness and your brokenness? Because a broken person, God will not reject. But the moment when we resist him, it's always like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm going to give 10% to Jesus. I'm going to give 20% to him. I'm going I'm to sort of give him my stuff, you know, just when it's going okay. The Bible talks about having a circumcised heart. Do you know what that means? A heart wholly surrendered and devoted to him. In the Old Testament, it was a physical circumcision. Hallelujah. Men, in the New Testament, it's a spiritual circumcision. Can I get some amen? Okay. Oh, okay. The rest of you line up. No, no, I'm joking. There you should say amen. Okay, but so the crazy part is, is God does not understand little measures. Whatever Jesus does is he finishes the work. Even the word tetelesta means it is finished. It is completed. Imagine you're standing in front of the painting, the Mona Lisa. Do you know what the Mona Lisa is? Is that woman that stands on the painting. Who doesn't know what that is? It's like a very expensive painting. But imagine you take your highlighters and you stand there and you had this opportunity. There's no glass and 30 security guards in front of you. And you take the highlighter and you think like, oh, I never liked the Mona Lisa's nose. You know, it's not yellow enough. And then you go like, you know, you get a couple of bullet wounds very quickly. <laughs> but sometimes we try to do that with Christ. We try to add to the finished work of Christ instead of just entering into it. You say, oh Lord, you know, you sort of, you sort of are right for the nations, you know, the nation of India, but in my life, I'm not really going to trust you. I, I don't really think you can finish it. Jesus died for a complete restoration in your life. Jesus said, hey, if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. Jesus says, hey, come to me all while heavy laden. Come and bring your burdens to me. Come and lay down your life. Come, I want to circumcise your heart, but he will do it. Will you trust? And so we see this profound story of these two ladies, and there are many of them in scriptures of people that had a divine encounter with Christ. They were not afraid to go and press through the distractions, through the lies, through the stuff. But it needs to, you need to become vulnerable, broken. We are all broken. Just loving Christ. And that's what I love, what Angus always says about, you know, he says, my job, I'm just one hungry beggar showing another hungry beggar where to find food. That's what preaching is. Hey, there's food. There's living waters. Why are you struggling like that? Why are you taking control? Why are you not trusting? Repent of trying to be prideful in your own way. No, but I haven't got pride. Huh? Really? <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, I'm actually okay. <laughs> Jesus said there's no one good except my father. So sorry, turn to your neighbor and say, 
I've got bad news for you. You're not as good as you think. <laughs> Some of you enjoy that too much. Hey, eh? Josh, you're not as bad as you think, guys, Dion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But listen to these closing words of this of Jesus in verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. We come in faith. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Isn't that crazy? The woman that was caught in adultery. Jesus says, hey, cast the first stone if you want to judge. Then everybody walked away and then he says, hey, woman, go and sin no more. Jesus will never tell somebody something that is not possible. Go and sin no more. There's a woman with the alabaster floss that comes to, through prostitution money, take oil, rub it on his feet. The Pharisees says like, oh, Jesus, you don't know who this woman is and how she got that money. And then Jesus says, hey, be quiet. People for many years will still hear about this woman that came to wash my feet. Prepare me with all of her vulnerability, all of her brokenness, she's learned to worship me in spirit and in truth. Not just bring her base to the table. Not just bring her Sunday Christianity. Bring all of her thirst. Bring all of her life and say, God, I want to worship you. I want to know you. I've experienced it so, so many times. I've told the story. You know, we had this lady that has, when we went to Iran, Fasting for 21 days to get baptized. And so we baptized her just with water, not liquidized steak, with water in the bathtub. But every day as we just worshipped and she was sitting in the corner, she didn't understand English. The tears would just begin to roll down her face. Why? Because of an encounter with Jesus. Once you've looked in his eyes, there's just no other eyes you want to look into. Once you've pressed through the crowds, and some of you are distracted, some of you are playing games with God, and you're being lied to by the father of lies. It says like, hey, no, what Jesus has is not enough. Do you know Jesus will never heal me of this affliction? No, this shame, this stuff, I can never be a good husband one day. I can never be a good wife one day, because do you know what? If they only knew what has been happening in my life... <laughs> If they only knew what I do in secret, if they only knew, well, do you know that Jesus knows? He knows about your darkest fear in your heart. But he's a gentleman and he will not break down the door. He will not. He will never shame you. But all he does is he say, I have living waters and you coming to the well of the world and you're blocking up that wells i want to open up those wells in your heart again i don't just want to meet the need in your life i want to allow your life to become a fountain isn't that beautiful once you drink of that water it will become in you a fountain that springs up into everlasting life that's our relationship with the holy spirit yeah but that's so simple well exactly a five-year-old can understand that. I just loved it. This morning at the service, there was a, 
old uncle, a great-grandfather here. He was sitting right there in the front. So I was sharing like principles, and there were like three principles. And that's what I love about older people and about really young people. Older people, have you noticed your grandfather or grandmother? They don't care about the opinion of people anymore. They've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, you know? They're almost straight, shooting straight. How many of you have got grandfathers and grandmothers like that? You know, they, they're not like trying to be familiar, you know? So at the end of the service, this uncle comes up. And so I'm standing right here. I'm thinking like, oh, I'm going to pray a great prayer for him. And he stands there and he says, oh, you mentioned three points. And you didn't explain to us what it is. I'm coming back next week. And you better explain to us what those three points mean, you know? <laughs> I'm thinking like... Pressure, you know. I wanted to explain to him, but I didn't know the third one in any case. So I was just going, okay, come back next week. So I'm going to just get another pastor to preach. Okay, but in any case, hallelujah, you know. But children, they're just exactly the same. They're just very truthful. They're just like, why are we lifting our hands in church? Why are we doing it? Why, 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 why? But we lose our childlikeness. I'm not saying childishness, because we need to take responsibility for our lives, like these women did. But there's something about the simplicity of joy, knowing Christ, the joy of our salvation. We don't put the girdle of truth over our head. We put the helmet of salvation on our head. And if you lose the joy of your salvation, you're in trouble. Jesus saved me. Jesus healed me. Jesus delivered me. But the Pharisees, the learned ones, do you know what they did? It says, oh, Jesus, you just don't know. There's 30 hurdles for this person to come to you. But Jesus says, come to me all who are thirsty. Come to me, everyone who's heavy laden. Come. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know what you're carrying, but there's some people that are struggling with depression and heaviness here. There's some of you that's lost hope for your family. There's some of you that have come into a corner and you just think like, yo, I'm, I'm, I just need to try harder. Trying harder is not going to bring healing and restoration and virtue. Your effort doesn't change God's mind or his heart. Do you know even prayer, prayer doesn't change God. It doesn't move God. It moves us to align ourselves with the will of God. Some people think I can manipulate God in praying. No, you can't. But the more, what is prayer? Prayer just is a sacrifice. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of crying out to God. Say, God, I can't do it. And that's why the best prayer in your life is, Lord, help. I have to tell you this funny story, you know. Celebrating every way. Maybe I've told it before, but my children are not in this service. They're only coming in the next service. So I'm not allowed to tell you the next service. But so, one of my children one day, you know, when you do potty training, do you know what potty training is? All of you went through it, so don't pretend that you're that spiritual. There were some times that you missed the mark. You missed the throne. And do you know what? You had to be trained to do that properly. So one day I am sitting in my study, and so we just like, you know, one of our children, it's that moment, and the child comes running in. She says, Daddy, Daddy, come look. Come look. I did it. And I'm thinking like, yes, 
yes. So I come around the corner. I'm excited. I'm psyched up, you know. I come around the one corner, go down the passage, come around the next corner, and there's the white throne sitting in front. And there's a beautiful monument just in front of the white throne that has been built up. I say, wonderful. We were almost there. I'm thinking like, okay, how are we going to get around this one? And so we had a worship service right there. Almost there, almost there, you know? No, no, joking, we didn't have a worship service. But now, now I must be excited as well and celebrate. At least it's three meters closer. So there's something to celebrate. It's one step closer, okay? But sometimes what we think is like, oh, you bad thing. If you don't get it 100% right, do you know what? You can't make a mistake because hey, this is the church. Next time, get it right. But we did have a worship service. Lord, thank you. Every step closer to God. Every moment we draw close, he draws close to us. And so that's God's invitation. But are you willing, like that woman, to press through the crowds? Are you willing to leave your water pot and, and talk to Jesus about stuff that you don't really want to talk about? He wants to talk about it. And he wants to tell you, hey, you're going to drink of that water. And once you drink of it, you will never thirst again. Will you stand with me tonight? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.